Welcome back, everyone. For those of you who are new to the show, we play the orientation every week in order to showcase many of the resources available on the Action for Canada website. We try to highlight the key points and resources, but our website offers so much more information than we can put on into the orientation, so be sure to check out the website as often as you can. One of our goals is to enable you to be completely knowledgeable and confident as you stand up for your rights and freedoms. The orientation, as well as recordings of each week's Empower Hour, are available on our website for you to rewatch or to share with others. At the top of the hour, Tanya Gaw, the founder of Action for Canada, will be coming on to share her weekly updates with us, and then she'll be joined by our special guest speaker, David Lindsay. We have lots of opportunities for you to meet other like-minded people on our website. For example, every Tuesday, you can join Tanya for Taboo Talks, where she is not afraid to tackle all those tricky topics that others are unwilling to talk about. This meeting happens every Tuesday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific Time on Zoom, and everyone is welcome, so be sure to register for that. As well, we're always promoting the A4C chapters, so if you haven't already done so, go to the website and join a chapter near you. We want you to be able to connect with other like-minded people who will support you as you stand up for your rights and freedoms. Have you had a chance to check out the youth freedom movement on our website yet? Action for Canada is committed to providing a platform so the youth in our country can voice their concerns and opinions. Several of the young people who attended the recent youth leadership and speaker program taped their speeches and you can watch their presentation on our website. We'll also be highlighting one of the speeches every week, so be prepared to be challenged and impressed by the courage of our young people as they speak out. We also have a place for you to reach out with any specific prayer requests you might have. The information you give us will be kept in strict confidence. Please be sure to use this valuable resource. It's been over a month since Action for Canada committed to one week of fasting and prayer, and that initial one-week period has been extended to June 4th. You still have a few days left to join us on the Zoom call each morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time as we meet together in worship, praise, intercession, and petition. As many of you know, Action for Canada is volunteer-run and is 100% supported by donations. Any amount helps. And I want to mention that we also have a monthly donor plan available if you'd like to bless us with a regular donation. We are so grateful that you've chosen to partner with us and contribute to Action for Canada. With your donations, we will continue to provide hope, solutions, and free resources to Canadians from shore to shore. Now, before we head into the Empower Hour, I want to extend a heartfelt thank you to everyone who is faithfully praying for Action for Canada. Your love and your prayers mean so much to us, and we are very grateful for your commitment. Thank you. I also want to honor all the incredible people I have the pleasure of working with, the Empower Hour crew, the core team, all the volunteers and behind-the-scene people, and, of course, Tanya Gaw. And now, fellow freedom fighters, it is time for the Empower Hour.
Hello, hello, and welcome to the June 1st, 2022 Empower Hour. In just a few moments, Action for Canada's founder, Tanya Gaw, will be joining us with her weekly updates. And our special guest speaker tonight is David Lindsay. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Action for Canada is a grassroots movement reaching out to millions of Canadians and uniting our voices in opposition to the destructive policies tearing at the fabric of our nation. Through call to action campaigns, we equip citizens to take action. We are committed to protecting faith, family and freedom. Every week, I have the pleasure of introducing Tanya Gaw, the founder of Action for Canada, and I always wonder, where do I start? Tanya is such an incredible person. She loves God and our country. She's not afraid to speak out against government corruption and tyranny. She teaches and empowers us to stand up for our rights and freedoms, and she encourages us to stand strong in truth. Tanya, I know I speak for everyone on this call when I say we're so grateful for your leadership and for your knowledge as you inspire us to stand on guard for Canada, for truth and for righteousness. Welcome and thank you for all you do. Thank you, Heather, and welcome, everyone. I was loving the little picture of the ant. Uh, they can carry so much more times their weight, but I want you to know they're part of a colony and they all work together. And so Action for Canada is nothing with just Tanya on her own. We need all of you. And we need so many more people like Heather and the team that we have here, um, you know, making this production available. So Heather, thank you so much. Um, as always, I'm, I always love welcoming you all. I love it that you're committed to come and join us on uh, Wednesday night. Um, Denny Rancourt was supposed to join us tonight, but he got called away uh, to a court proceeding. And uh, so David and I happened to be talking the same day. And I said, you know, David, I think it's very timely that you come on tonight. It's been a while since we've had an update regarding the filing of private informations and a little bit more about how we're doing there. And then uh, David and I, it, again, timely, because uh, David was in town and joined me at the courts yesterday to uh, listen to Rocco in action. And I tell you, it was just spectacular. Uh, you know, for all of those who, uh, the, little, the little mob that have been criticizing and negative towards Rocco, uh, he put them all to shame. Uh, showed why I call him the top constitutional lawyer in Canada. Uh, he was skilled, uh, the talent there. He was well prepared and he just laid everything out. Um, I was very proud of him, very proud that he's representing Action for Canada and representing all of you. And uh, to many of you, to all of those who have donated and supported, um, again, you know, give yourself a huge pat on the back right now uh, because we couldn't. Thank you. Very good, friends. You know, because we couldn't have made this happen without the uh, amount of uh, financial support we we had across Canada to make sure that we covered the costs of, of this action. And we're going into court completely paid and up to up to date and uh, ready for this. All right, Terenzio, I'm just going to share my screen. I'm going to start with this. Isn't that a beautiful thing, everyone? That's a, that's, that's a map of Canada and all those little beautiful maple leaves. Those are chapters. 
159 chapters nationwide. I went and spoke at a conference this weekend in Victoria, had several opportunities uh, to speak. And um, unfortunately, I was a speaker that uh, had a little less time uh, than others. It was, a, it was supposed to be a conference for individuals to come and uh, help so that we could show and present uh, you know, um, solutions to the problems that we're in. And I, I, I got to tell you, I think Action for Canada is, is one of the number one. There's good organizations out there, but as far as strategy and plans and activism and resources, and, uh, you know, and as far as really gaining the power in, in, throughout Canada, Action for Canada is doing an amazing job. And again, that's very much due to our members, to our team at Action for Canada, working very hard to provide the real good resources, all of our chapter leaders, you know, if you know any of them, if you want to go down the list and say thank you for what you're doing, send them an email uh, because it takes a lot to step up into one of those positions and uh, they need your support and your time and your skills. So make sure that you join an Action for Canada chapter. We had a bit of a pause on chapters because we had to catch up with the growth and we're getting back to vetting. So keep an eye on that list because there will be a chapter coming to a community near you. Anyways, at that event, um, it was pretty cool because if I had five minutes, I brought up this map and I just nailed it. I talked about our resources. I talked about the legal actions. Uh, I just brought it home as to what it is we were doing. It didn't take a lot of time for, for me to uh, get people's attention. And so uh, we got a lot of support. It was wonderful of the people who put that uh, conference on. The rally was amazing as well. All right, let's get down to business. For everybody and anybody that's new, if you go to call to action, You'll see our urgent actions where we post the calls to action, which we include in our weekly emails. And if you click on weekly emails, you come up with this page. So uh, for those of you, it took me a little bit of delay. I'd written the court update last night. I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but I needed, I had wanted Rocco to review it first. So he's done that. And just before the show, I've reposted it. So if you haven't read it, you'll be encouraged. Get in there and, and have a read after the show. <laughs> All right. So today we are doing uh, the review this week was legal action. And of course, wanting to discuss a bit of laying private information, bringing awareness of the court date yesterday. Every week, I am going to highlight one of the youth who have provided their video. This week, it was Jack. Um, I would encourage you, please listen to the video, go into our weekly emails, listen to the video, and then share it. These uh, youth deserve to have their voice heard. And that can only happen if we have an amazing amount of Action for Canada members sharing it. Send it to your MP. Ask them to provide you feedback on what they, how they feel, uh, you know, about what it is that each of our special speakers has presented. Urgent calls to action, again, that was part of it, is that you would contact elect elected officials and senators. If you just click there, we've got all of their emails, very easy, available to you, and share the youth videos. They need to know what they're doing to our kids. This is cruel and unusual punishment and abuse to our kids. Uh, when I was in the court yesterday, I, I had come out briefly. And as I was entering back in, there was a lady sitting on the concrete ledge shouting into the doors, into the courtroom, you know, wanting justice. She goes, every morning, I have to wake up and make sure my two teenage daughters are alive. You need to pay for what you're doing to them. This lady is not isolated in what she's struggling with with her youth. And we need to fight hard. We're in a war. 
They know that our youth are the future, and so do we, and we all need to get involved. Okay, so please do your part in sharing this video, these videos and giving our youth a voice. They deserve it. Uh, action call number two, for years prior to COVID, getting ready you know, for this tyranny, Trudeau has been trying to take away guns from Canadians by putting in more and more restrictions. Canadian gun owners, legal gun owners, have the hardest restrictions uh, from, I think, anywhere in the world. And in order to create a socialist government, you need to disarm the people. And so my advice to everybody is do not give up your guns. We need to get rid of Trudeau. I don't know if civil war is coming. Uh, I know that we're in a, a season of civil disobedience, which is a time-honored tradition. And if it's going to move this way, the only way they will succeed if they take away our weapons and they can't be allowed to do that. So they will rely uh, on mass shootings like what took place in uh, in Texas. So Trudeau and, and his friends there um, are already using the Texas strategy as an excuse to take guns away from uh, responsible gun owners in Canada. The Nova Scotia shooting in Canada several years ago, uh, just in case you're not aware of what the government does, they had tabled, sorry, something just flashed up there. Uh, they had tabled a bill uh, regarding gun restrictions. And every time, nearly every time, they're going to table a bill that they want to push through. Uh, I don't believe it's by coincidence that some sort of tragedy takes place that's relevant. And so it's very well um, thought that the shooting was uh, something that was constructed in order to assist that Canadians would say, oh, we need to take away our guns. Everybody needs to be, uh, you know, without, without gun ownership. And of course, we know that in tyrannical countries, that doesn't change anything. It just gives the government the power. And then you want to you see uh, problems with guns, you, you hand them over to, to a government's army and a government-led police force, all right? Then we have problems with guns. And the greatest problem we're having with guns is, at this point, is with criminals and the illegal guns coming across the border, all right? So don't give up your guns. Uh, let your MPs, everybody know, uh, sign the petition. I don't normally, you know, do a whole lot of, hey, sign these petitions, but this is an e-petition, which means that your signatures actually count uh, the uh, person that put it forward, it will actually be presented to the legislature. So please go into this action and make sure that you sign that and continue just to learn more. Um, this week, I was I, I didn't realize as I was doing this, it was silly of me. Uh, we were going to talk more about the rapid antigen testing on the Taboo Talks with Tanya on Tuesdays. But of course, I was in court yesterday and I didn't think I would make it back. So we canceled that. So sorry to anybody who, who did show up. Okay, so now on to one of the one of the highlights tonight for me is to make sure that uh, you come in under call to action. The weekly emails I was just on, you'll see right here is the court update. I've provided the link there, but also I have provided the link. If you go to legal action, details and updates, we try to keep you posted and up to date here, okay? So the other day I had posted, I had a little more here, but I deleted it because it was irrelevant at this point, but that we went to court on, on May 31st. And then here is the information uh, that the defendants, uh, as far as the legal documents that they had to 
file and uh, Rocco's application, uh, his his response was on tab nine. If you go in there and then you scroll down, you'll see why Rocco felt that the motion to strike was ludicrous. I can say in his own words, ludicrous. Let me see if I underline that, right? Yep. <laughs> All right. So it really was, um, it was an incredible day. So we've got a complete update here. As the court proceedings were uh, being heard, we had live updates. So I find some of these details interesting. Our team, Ray and Jenny, were posting them to the website. And so I would even encourage you to go in and read that and make sure that you go to the legal action page. Okay, so as I said earlier, we've had, you know, some criticisms about Rocco Galati and the length of the case. There were things that I can't necessarily tell you all about as they're transpiring, like the fact that when you uh, file a uh, statement of claim, it is then up to the defendants to file a, a statement of defense or, you know, have some sort of reply. But you also have to deliver to them the statement of claim, and then they have a certain amount of time they need to reply to you. And uh, the statement of claim on behalf of Bonnie Henry and Horgan, et cetera, could be delivered to the AG's office, David Eby. But when we went to do that, they didn't accept them. They only accepted David Eby's and they're, oh, we're so confused, you know. So for two and a half months, they were dragging their heels on uh, accepting the statement of claim. And it was extremely frustrating. And I was taking it in the chin from people who were criticizing what's taking so long. So I'm going to ask all of you to make sure that if you see anybody who is, um, you know, being um, negative towards Action for Canada or rude on social media or something like that, stand up for us. Stand up for us and just know that we're fighting hard here, but it's not always do we have the liberties to explain what is going on. And so after all of that time, uh, they, they finally decide to reply and they replied by filing a motion to strike. And and that is not a surprise. It's a very common thing to do, because as we know, they weren't going to say, oh, you're all right. This was a constitutional overstep. We'll stop it all now. And, you know, we're going to go back to life as it should be. So they they put through uh, what could be considered a very shameful um, uh, reply motion to strike. And when the uh, defendants attorneys came up to speak, especially Mr. Witten, who was the lead counsel for, as it says there, Justin Trudeau, John Horgan, Bonnie Henry, and the other provincial crown defendants. It, it, it was the weakest. It was just such a weak submission. And what they've done, and now um, I'm just going to go back a bit because I, I love it if you guys will take the time to uh, review some of this material because I think it's interesting. Let me go to the legal action. So right here, you can get the update the overview. And as I mentioned, here's the affidavit number one and number two. And so what they had submitted, this was their evidence of why this uh, action should be struck. And in the first one, they decide, there they go, all kinds of pictures. They're keeping a very close eye on what we're doing. So that's great. Maybe they'll learn something. Maybe they'll understand how tyrannical it is uh, and, you know, how they're violating the constitutional rights and uh, creating and committing egregious crimes against Canadians. So the reason they had posted this is that uh, they were opposing the fact that, you know, uh, filing a, a legal claim and then posting about it, talking about it, showing that we're creating and that we had raised money for it uh, was bad form and, and that we shouldn't be doing that. 
And so Rocco's rebuttal to that was he named uh, five or six different cases of, of um, well-known activists who were, um, you know, whatever their cause was, they were fighting for and they were posting about it. It's like, what are we supposed to do? Uh, you know, just become victims and slaves and not not have a voice, not let Canadians know what it is the government is doing. So that was one of their uh, one of their positions. And then you're going to all love this. This is much kudos to all of you who have served a notice of liability. In BC, many, he tried to say, uh, the the council tried to say that there was 80 or so uh, notices of liability that had been sent to, you can see at the top there, John Horgan, who's the premier. And then if we go down, there was Adrian uh, Dix and um, others. I could just keep scrolling down. And, And so their angle on this was that the uh, notices of liability were intimidating to the health officials that were receiving them. How intimidating. It was really upsetting to them and that this was a form of harassment. And, you know, no thought for what it is that they're doing to Canadians who are losing their jobs and their homes, whose loved ones are committing suicide and, and kids who are struggling with depression. No thought about that, but these poor victims in the government offices who are receiving a notice of liability and, and that, you know, that, the, that this was a problem in their mind. So again, that was the um, second affidavit. And, and so that's just a little bit about what will transpire. But again, I would encourage you, uh, David, I'm going to bring David on now for a, a little bit. He and I are going to talk about the claim or the court proceedings. And then uh, David is going to present somewhat on the uh, criminal charges, et cetera. And just so you know, as well, I've asked Rocco to come on the Empower Hour. So, uh, you know, keep checking in with us. Make sure you're, you're joined with us to receive our weekly emails. And we're, we'll give you a good heads up on when that's going to happen. And thank you, Tanya, once again for the update. Such good news. I'm so happy. It's always uh, such a pleasure to introduce one of our favorite repeat guests to the Empower Hour. For those of you who have never met David Lindsay before, you are in for a real treat. David is the co-founder of CLEAR, the Common Law Education and Rights Initiative. He's the author of the Annotated Criminal Charging Procedure in Canada, and he's been teaching Canadians how to lay criminal charges without needing to hire a lawyer. David, you are back by popular demand. Welcome to the Empower Hour. Thank Thank you. Hi, David. All right. Super good good to have you on again. It's been a little little while. And uh, so let's get right into this. You you were sitting right next to me taking lots of notes um, in in the court, in the BC Supreme Court. Uh, I'm just going to give the floor to you. You let me know how you felt about it. Um, I felt awesome. Um, (laughs) Brocco's presentation... um, I don't know how to put it. It was just phenomenally great. And you had a lot of support. The courtroom was packed. There was people in the hallway waiting uh, to get in and couldn't. And uh, the support was was absolutely amazing. Um, I think Rocco's comment when he was addressing their motion to strike and what Witten had been saying about um, uh, a whole bunch of lies and garbage that your case had no merit and so on. And basically Rocco came up and said, only people who believe in a flat earth would believe what he was saying. And it got a great laugh out of the crowd, of course, with everybody there. And um, 
it, it was a great, uh, just a great comeback, uh, a great real comeback. And um, Rocco was extremely witty. He was on the ball the whole time. Um, and his, um, his response, further responses to Witten and the other people, the, the other lawyers, um, was, was amazing. It was really, really good. He, um, he was able to attack them and respond on all avenues and, uh, and say, this is what we were trying to do and what we are trying to do. And um, he also came back and said, listen, um, you know, you're, you're trying to call me a ringleader of, of the anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists. And he said, here's my credentials. I've had two Supreme Court, and I think two or more Supreme Court of Canada victories. All the other cases he's won, uh, Judge Nadon, he got removed from the Supreme Court of Canada, and other judges he's, he's helped remove that shouldn't have been there. And he went on with his credentials, and he said, don't go making those accusations about me. You know, I, I'm, I'm one of the most qualified people in Canada. And he's absolutely correct. So um, it was interesting that None of the lawyers had any response, not even a word, to when, uh, after Rocco was done and the, the judge said to them, what, what, what do you have to say in response? Usually, in fact, almost always there's a, a, a comment or two. Every one of them stood up and said, I have nothing to say. And um, I, I looked at that as very, very positive. Um, their, uh, their, sole, their, their primary claim that the uh, the that the, the claim file was too long. They, they may get some success on it and get it shortened down, but uh, in long run, big deal. It just gets reworded and it gets shortened and, uh, and the case will move on. In my opinion, they are not going to win uh, on having it permanently struck. And as one of the lawyers said, um, there's going to be motions and, and they use these motions as a way to ring up costs and, uh, and get delays. And Rocco was very, very, um, and it was a good point that he made. And he said, listen, they're trying to talk about me. What about them who took two and a half months to refuse service and they purposely delayed um, getting served by it and they avoided service. And these, yeah. these are government officials who know better. Yeah, and exactly. um, he attacked them really good on that. I think that was an excellent point he made on it as well. So all in all, uh, he wanted 90 minutes. He took about 75 and um, he had lots of good case law to back him up. On, on what he was talking about. And um, I think one of the good case law he pointed out was that this is a, uh, a unique case. It's not settled. Other courts like the Indian court and many others have, have come up and ruled in our favor, Portuguese court, Italian court, and so on. And he said the, the Supreme Court of Canada has ruled on constitutional issues mm -hmm. that are still alive, that the issues have not been determined. They are not to be struck from the record. So yeah. that tells me immediately that uh, they're not going to get it struck. They may get it amended, but they will not get it struck. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that was really good. So his presentation was great. The crowd was fully supportive, of course. Mm -hmm. And um, he had a lot of support from, from everybody in the gallery that was watching. And it was a big courtroom. There was a lot of people. Yeah, there was uh, there were 78 seats that uh, were completely packed with 50 to 70 people having to stand outside. And so a lot of people didn't get to hear. And of course, they didn't uh, make it open to the public. Only Rocco could attend uh, via Zoom or whatever format they choose. And one of his opening statements that I loved, he says this, this case and talking about the merits of the case of why it shouldn't be struck. He says, we're not talking about a truck that hit a bicycle, right? <laughs> like this is, this is so far greater uh, than all of that. And, you know, um, just the way that he had presented everything, it was so well formatted, his argument. 
And as part of his written argument, which I was saying was in, in tab nine, the government, uh, the the attorney, he had, had turned around at one point and he, he said that that it was a, a costly and it wasn't worth the time. It, you know, it was going to take a lot of time to go through something like this. His case was convoluted. It was just so many directions, you know, just the exaggeration. Uh, talk about convoluted. It, I think it was the way this uh, this council was presenting. Anyways, they wanted to say it was too expensive, uh, complex and prolix. And Rocco's, of course, uh, response to that was the extent and complexity of the claim is appropriately proportionate to the extent and complexity of the issues at hand. The purported global pandemic, the scientific medical basis or non-basis of the measures, its history, and the constitutional violations imposed in Canada and abroad. And then um, within the court, this was in, in, in what he had filed, is that he talked about the fact that Justin Trudeau has spent $1.2 trillion on COVID measures, and that by, by comparison, the cost of this case would be inconsequential. Uh, you know, so these were important details for uh, Rocco to discuss. I mean, talk about absurd and ludicrous not to uh, proceed with a case based on cost. Uh, you know, when we're talking about the kind of violations that are taking place. Um, so anyways, any any other high, anything else that uh, sort of stood out, Rock, uh, uh, David? Yeah, um, they, especially Witten, really tried to um, harp on this conspiracy theory. And mm-hmm. Rocco pointed out, and he said, that's their term of labeling. And, you know, I was in court within about a year ago, and I got really, really angry at a judge. Um, not directly to the judge himself, but to the Crown. And I'm getting really, really frustrated with Crown prosecutors and sometimes even private lawyers who are coming up with no evidence. Nothing's even on the record yet. There's not even an application filed for a declaration, nothing. And they call you a conspiracy conspiracy theorist or a tax protester or a anti-vaxxer, an anti-vaxxer. And they throw these labels. And I've seen judges who are, they're sitting there writing their notes and somebody says you're an anti-vaxxer. Oh, and, and suddenly they're, they stop everything they're doing. They've got your attention. And right away, that label has biased your case and you've lost from that point forward. Because now the judge says, oh, you're one of those people. And uh, and you get biased. So I'm I'm looking in the future of trying to get an order that the crown cannot make those allegations in court without either an application cited by evidence and defining what those terms mean in the first place. I mean, what is an anti-vaxxer? Does it mean that somebody who says for religious grounds, I personally am not going to get it? Suddenly they oppose everybody and you're an anti-vaxxer or anti-tax uh, protester or whatever terms they want to they they want to throw at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I want to get and I'm, I'm looking at trying to do that. It, it's going to take a bit, but I want to get an order that they should not be able to throw these labels at you without A, being proven and B, you given the opportunity to fully respond to them and know what their other position is going to be. Because they've uh, they've won cases simply on putting that label out in court before uh, within the first five minutes of the case starting at, at court, yeah. and then the judge judges thinks, well, you're one of those people. So Rocco, for example, he addressed that and he came up and he said, um, 
about them calling them uh, conspiracy theories, theorists. And he said, you know what? Conspiracies, and this was an awesome analogy. It, it really was. And he said, conspiracy theories, theories or conspiracies, he said, have been around since the time of Julius Caesar. And how much more correct can you get when all of his people got together, et tu bouté, and uh, they, uh, they, they conspired to, to murder Julius Caesar. So conspiracies have been around. They exist. And the label that they attach is not conspiracy, but they add the word theory, theory or theorist on the end of it to qualify it and say that anybody who opposes the government, it's just a theory. The government's wrong. They're all looking out for your best interest. And really, those people should be charged with fraud because yeah. they know better and it's a complete lie. So Rocco's answer was just uh, incredibly um, uh, the analogy he gave was directly to the point on that and very well done. Yeah, he definitely stayed on point. And, uh, you know, it's very sad, but I'm I'm having to deal with many people trying to contact me, single parents whose ex wants to get their uh, minor child uh, given this injection. And I see that the abuse of human rights and discrimination within the courts, and it's so disgusting and it's heart wrenching, you know, to hear about. So I've got one father, his child is six years old. And in March, um, the court made a decision uh, because he was an anti-vaxxer. But the six-year-old had said, I do not want to take this shot. Uh, but the mother persisted. She got medical authority over the child and then injected the child, I think, within a day or two. And the father was prohibited for three months uh, from seeing his child. And in um, speaking to him, like I say, it's so moving that he said, you know, I, I, I don't know how to respond when I, he's going to be able to see him uh, very shortly. He said, I don't know how to respond to him. Uh, you know, my child, I know, depending on, on the shot that he was given is not the same. And then said how he'd found one of his teeth, you know, saved one of his teeth and, and that had his true DNA in it. Um, this is the level of despair that some parents are feeling. And it is so cruel. Uh, when I was sitting in court, actually, yesterday, when Rocco went to address the uh, plaintiffs and the compensation for them financially that was written because they were trying to say, you know, that this this is, uh, you know, absurd as well. And, and Rocco went uh, to plead the position of that. And I actually teared up with emotion because of um, how carefully I went through every story with every single plaintiff that we have. But you know, since then, I'm lead, I'm hearing from one testimony after another of people who are suffering unbelievable loss. You know, this week, a, a loved one who had committed suicide, who couldn't cope. Uh, another mother who was just served an affidavit from her ex wanting to vaccinate their four-year-old. I, I mean, we are in battle, we're in war, and we've got to be as tenacious uh, moving forward with this. So, yes, um, I, I agree. Rocco moved through the whole process of his argument, and I thought he's an expert. He is absolutely a top constitutional lawyer of Canada, and, and I was impressed and very proud to see him in action. All right. So, um, David, let's let's go over to you now. Uh, you know, we had put forth the notices of liability, and, you know, I just got to point this out for a minute. There was a gal by the name of Susan Coles who has tried to undermine the notices of liability. I think Rebel News had her on, and I was a bit surprised that Rebel News did that. And and um, other organizations, I don't know who the angry Albertan is, but he's obviously angry. <laughs> he's been apparently, I don't go on social media, and he's he's handing me, handing me over some, some uh, real uh, sort of hate postings, and somebody brought it to my attention. I've never talked to the man. 
Um, again, you know, regarding the case, uh, I don't think they're on our website. I don't think they're coming to the Empower Hours. I don't think these individuals look on our legal action page to see what it is we're doing and seeing that we're fighting a war in Canada and we are laying it all out there and doing our best and we are up against great corruption and we don't have control of that corruption, but we are trying to do our best to uh, bring them to task. And, and so for these haters out there, I, I, I got to tell you, if you're truly on our side, start sending us some love, start posting about the notices of liability and the fact that they're saving lives and saving jobs. Um, do you think that uh, the government would be paying notice to the notices of liability if they were really that ineffective? And, and uh, just some sort of, uh, what do they call that? Pseudo legal document? Uh, do you think yeah. that, uh, you know, premiers would be talking about it in the legislature and uh, newspaper citizen, Ottawa citizen, just wrote an article as well about us the other day uh, because our chapter leaders had done this. Uh, they wanted to uh, give the uh, elected officials, the provincial, sorry, candidates an opportunity to have a debate. And three of them actually showed up. Uh, but four of them did not. The NDP, I believe it was the NDP who said he was afraid for his life. <laughs> Just, he was afraid for his life to come to this event. Action for Canada has never been violent. We don't post any violence. We're not haters. Um, you know, so is, uh, Ottawa Citizen, if you see comments like this, counter the comments. This is what our team, Team Action for Canada and Team Freedom in Canada needs to do. Uh, we need to hold the Ottawa citizen uh, to account and anybody else that's attacking us because we're friends of yours. We're friends of Canadians and we are truly one of the only um, organizations that to the depths of us are true patriots. And thank you, Terenzio, for bringing that map up and, and the power that we have. So uh, the reason I went on this little tangent about the notices of liability is, uh, you know, we had many, many thousands and thousands of Canadians have served the notice of liability. And then the next part is if uh, the principal of a school, a teacher, um, an employer didn't reply positively, then the next step was to make sure that you have uh, are accumulating the evidence. And you have up to a year to file a charge. So if you were let go six months ago or on unpaid leave, file the notice of liability, file the warning letters, get yourself set up. Make sure you've engaged your employer or whomever it is you're dealing with and, and put that information in a file. And then you put your notice of liability in there because if they haven't ceased and desist and they're still calling, causing your harm, once this dam breaks, and once we get additional um, actions in the court and, and they start uh, progressing, this is going to be your time. It's going to be your time to shine. And we're going to be walking you through how to do that. And so, David, we are incredibly grateful because uh, you have written. I'm going to go down here. Get it. We can bring it up on the website. I will do that as well. But I happen to have a copy here, a hard copy. You have written one of the only books in Canada on how to lay private information, criminal charges. Uh, so you don't go through the police, you file. Thank you. There it is online as well. You're awesome, Terenzio. Big shout Thank out you. to Terenzio. What a pro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so uh, this has just been a magnificent journey with you. We've held workshops and you have been so generous. We have provided every single one of our chapter leaders one of these books and to make sure that anybody who's a member can sit down with our chapter leaders and go over this. We've provided workshops that David and Action for Canada members have been involved in. Uh, 
And, and now since then as well, we've had private meetings with David where, you know, for those members who have just been through horrific times who have decided I want to take this a step further. Um, so David, I'm going to be quiet now. I'm actually going to go off the screen for a moment and I'm going to hand it over to you and uh, just let us know whatever's on your heart. Sure. Um, before you go, I just wanted to mention oh. too that if you were not having any measure of success, you would not be attacked publicly. Mm -hmm. either Ottawa citizen or anything else. And that I can tell you from experience, as I've told a lot of people at our rallies, um, they attacked us right from the beginning in the media. And they attacked me personally with, with a lot of falsehoods. They attacked other people with falsehoods. And then they started coming up laying bylaw tickets every week to try and get us to stop using the, the park that we're at. And that mm -hmm. hasn't worked. And um, they're, they're doing the same thing to me and you and, and they're doing it to others. As I told people at our rallies, if we were not having an effect similar to the business down the street, you never hear about them. They, they never hear about the, the banks down the street or any of the restaurants. You never hear about them in the media. Why is that? Because they're not a threat. We are a threat to their corruption. And as a result, that is why they're, they're going on the offensive uh, period. And, and one of their offensive is the motion to strike, of course. But right. that's why they're, they're doing that to, toward you, myself, and, uh, and others who are, uh, who are there. So Exactly. Yeah, the organizations that are doing a good job. And, uh, you know, visit our partner page on Action for Canada. Uh, because, you know, those who, you know, have been not critical, those who are serious about the business, of whatever their organization is focused on, we support them and they're on our partner page. So if you ever want to know who we support, it's not limited to that. We may not have heard about another organization, but if they're not on there and they're a larger organization, there would probably be a good reason for that. Um, we don't spend time criticizing, criticizing anybody else and we expect the same uh, courtesy. Uh, the one, one little thing, uh, you showed up just, you were at the uh, rally on Saturday as well and Action for Canada had their tents set up with all the notice of liability and resources and I didn't know that there was a small group down way down on the sidewalk of about eight to ten um, LGBTQ I want to call them activists but they're uh, they were young people that have just come out of uh, uh, the public school system that's indoctrinating them and uh, these are hurting individuals that are a bit confused you know about the matters and so one of them came and dumped a huge bucket of water all over our resources and got a couple of our gals uh, soaked and um, my response right away is I just said action for Canada's number one uh, you know just to and the crowd cheered and we made light of it um, because these sad individuals don't really understand and uh, don't be shy about the uh, tough topics that we talk about uh, you know, as far as uh, immigration and radical Islam and the trans LGBTQ agenda, again, it's not about moderate Muslims. It's not about the gay and lesbian community. Their platforms are being taken over for a more sinister reason. And uh, these are the reasons your freedom of speech were uh, uh, limited prior to all of this COVID garbage. This this COVID is just a small symptom of what we were fighting beforehand. Uh, so So don't be shy about it. Uh, don't be embarrassed that Action for Canada talks about these issues uh, because these are things we need to know and we need to help our kids. If we can't talk about them, the school is, and we're in big trouble if, if we don't give them uh, counter the information and give them the truth. All right. So, all right, David, over to you. Thanks. And fortunately, the person got charged too. The police went and charged him. Um, they picked him up just down the, uh, the sidewalk and uh, I saw him being put in handcuffs and they, they took him away. So uh, he was charged and 
My only hope is he's over 18 so that the consequences will be a little more severe and send a little more message to people who are doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, with respect to the, the criminal charging procedure, um, I'm really hopeful that charges are, are going to get through. A lot of them are in the process right now, and a lot of it have been adjourned. Um, we had one on Monday this week. It got adjourned. And the Crown is using various tactics to prevent these from coming uh, and the evidence to come before coming before the court. There's many in Ontario and uh, in Manitoba and other provinces that have also been adjourned. And the, the fact that they have been adjourned, so many of them, is, is indicative to me that the Crown is working in unison uh, throughout the country, uh, the provincial crowns, to, to delay these as long as possible. Fortunately, on, on Monday, the prosecutor, although it was adjourned, she did comment that um, it was under investigation and they were looking at doing, doing further investigation on the charges that we've laid against an employer. So the Crown is not hinting they're going to stay it. They're looking at saying, we want to see what other information is out there. And, um, and we're going to work, hopefully work with them over the next few weeks on that to get some information directly to them. But again, if, um, if, these, if this procedure had no merit, if, uh, if it really had no merit at all, um, you wouldn't see any charges getting through. The fact that the Crown has got such an attempt to try and state a lot of them tells me that um, we're, we're, we're onto something that they don't really, other than a state, they've got no power to control. And we're looking in the near future of possibly doing a judicial review on a, on a Crown that has stayed the charges as well. And somebody was in court today. I don't know all the details yet as to what happened. We know we got a... Um, uh, a major one coming up tomorrow in Vancouver. Somebody's also in court on it. And because these hearings are in camera, I'm not really at liberty to give details about it yet. But I'm optimistic that we're going to get charges laid. And I've done further research on uh, over the last three or four months on extortion and intimidation, the two main charges we're laying. And I have found some just incredibly supportive authorities on it. And um, Unfortunately, judges don't like non-lawyers, and um, it's difficult for somebody who's not a lawyer to, to get into court, and it's difficult for an agent to get into court, but I'm working on trying to get in on somebody's case right now to come in as an agent to help them because they, um, my experience and knowledge, they won't get around me in, in the process hearing. For example, in um, New Westminster about four months ago, a judge ruled this was an employment issue and did not issue a summons on that regard, that's illegal. And the fact remains that if it is an employment issue, you cannot use that as a basis to not lay, issue a summons, for example. Um, I found case law and authorities that have come, come up and said you cannot stay or refuse to issue a summons on that basis. So I'm really looking forward to showing up in court with somebody in the near future to be able to present a lot of convincing case law that will stymie them from trying to make sure these cases are never heard. Um, there's a lot that are going on right now. A lot more are coming. And I'm grateful to have been able to talk to, to a lot of people in various provinces. I wish I could be there for, for everybody. One of the problems, too, is, I mean, I'd love to go to Ontario and help them. 
but how do you get out there without driving for five days from from where I am in BC? And it's incredibly um, difficult right now. And of course, they want to extend the flying uh, provisions uh, until the end of June, minimally. I suspect what they're going to do on that is say, okay, at the end of June, um, we'll we'll uh, lower it. Instead of three vaccines, you only need two and masks. And then a month later, you only need one vaccine and a mask. Then you only need a mask. And then they'll say, oh, the new variant is here. We have to re-put them all in again. So they'll, they'll go and try and put them all in. So I have some concerns um, in that area about flying. But it's difficult to get to a lot of places to help people. And I'm uh, I'm going to still work on that over the next little while. Hopefully, we can, um, we can work on getting me into court as an agent. And um, I'm optimistic that once the evidence is on the record and with the case law that I have to back it up on all avenues of it, it's not a question of if, it's just a question of when that these employers and then government officials eventually will get charged. Um, I've mentioned to anybody who's got evidence, solid evidence that I can, that would be accepted by a court that um, if you've got it on Bonnie Henry or any, or any of our government officials, then um and, and somebody with the capability wants to lay the charge, I'll definitely help them and, and get them through the process. But I think it's important to, to note, and this is one comment I, I really wanted to talk about for a few minutes, is the issue of evidence. And what a layperson would consider evidence and what the courts and the legal or lawful system would consider evidence are two entirely different things. What we would consider evidence, the courts may look and go, we can't accept it. Hearsay, for example, you can get it in certain um, certain proceedings. You can have hearsay. Other ones you can't. For example, a criminal procedure, a criminal trial is generally prohibitive of having hearsay evidence. You may get an exception or an exemption, um, but it's really rare and limited. Just a general rule, you can't have hearsay in a criminal trial. So, when you're uh, when somebody's laying charges and you want to put evidence, it's not good enough to go into court and say, "Here's a newspaper article." And that's something I found out 25 years ago in Winnipeg because I tried that. And the judge said, "You know what? Some of these newspaper articles are really good. <coughs> Excuse me. Some of them are correct, but you cannot just go and tender them. And what you would have to do is either." Um, subpoena the person who wrote it, or more importantly, if the person wrote it and said, uh, a new study or report has come out from the government saying blah, 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 then you would need to get a copy of that study and report and actually tender that report yourself as evidence and point out whatever sections you're referencing. And any document you want to bring into court, there's a, a principle that documents don't just walk into court. Somebody has to tender it as an exhibit under oath for that document to be accepted as evidence. So if you're going to go into court, whether it's on a process hearing or um, any other uh, matter, somebody's going to need to take a witness stand and say, here are the documents and uh, here's, the, here's where I got it from so that it can be accepted. Some of them can be accepted on what's called judicial notice. For example, if you have a copy of a regulation, you don't need to have a government official come in and say, yeah, the government of Canada passed this regulation. If the regulation is there, it's 
stipulates where it came from the citation and everything, the court will give judicial notice of it. But for the most part, you need to be able to make sure that you tell the court where your evidence came from. So if you're laying a private prosecution on an employer, for example, and I cannot stress enough how critical all evidence is. If you think there's a problem, you should be tape recording every single conversation, or more importantly, telling your employer or whoever it is you're dealing with, put it in writing so that you will have everything documented on whatever you want to tender. For example, if your employer specifically says, I'm going to fire you if you don't get vaxxed, and you've got no proof of it, and then suddenly you're terminated without cause, you may have civil redress, um, but it'd be very difficult to make any criminal uh, prosecution available simply because you've got nothing to back it up. You could take the witness stand and you could say, yeah, this is what they said. But there's, it's your word against theirs. To give you an example, a friend of mine later charged the Okanagan years ago. I mentioned this on one of our first shows, and I'll, I'll repeat it because it's important with respect to evidence. And he had two witnesses, and they never showed up. So the judge said, I'll give you an adjournment. And my friend, contrary to my instructions, went and said, no, I just want to get it over with. So the judge came back in with the judgment in the afternoon. He said, you know what? It's your word against the cops. So I have to give the cop the benefit of the doubt. So the police officer was found not guilty. But the judge said to him, if your witnesses had showed up and supported what you said, he said, you would have won. So it's absolutely important to have as much evidence as possible, as well as the, the um, quality of the evidence. You don't want documents that are um, blotted out in places or uh, you know they're difficult to read and so on, right? You wanna be able to get as, the, the best evidence possible before the, uh, before the court. And you don't wanna get into a situation where it's your word, your word versus their word. You want something to back it up. Emails are great. Witnesses are great. More the better if you've uh, if you've got several witnesses. Um, anything that you can get to support it, and the person that did it. For example, if you have a coworker and a coworker is given an email from your boss, and your boss the boss says to the coworker, "I'm firing Jane Doe because she's not getting vaxxed." It would be much more effective to put your coworker on the witness stand and say, yes, this is the email that was directly given to me personally, than to, for her to give you the email and then you take the stand and say, yeah, my coworker gave it to me. Because it's an email and the email addresses are there, they may accept um, on a low, at a, at a process hearing, it probably would get accepted, but it may not at trial. The witness would probably, your coworker would have to take the stand at trial but it would probably be accepted at a process hearing because you can have hearsay at that level. But at trial, you can't. So always make sure you get the best evidence possible. Always. You don't want the Crown saying, I'm going to stay at charge because you've got no evidence or all your evidence, I can't use it. You want to make sure you've got documents to back it up, witnesses to back it up, and everything that you can have is supported as much as possible. 
then you're going to stand a really good chance of, of getting somewhere. And I want to emphasize this test at a process hearing is really low. And um, the fact that the Crown has stayed some of these charges already and has, have adjourned others uh, to try and delay it, they know it's a low test and they're worried about getting this evidence on the record because it's not very high to meet on extortion and intimidation. And usually, if you can prove, uh, have some evidence on the offense uh, of extortion, usually intimidation will follow as well. And they know this. Believe me, the Crown knows this. And they know the repercussions of what's going to happen once the floodgates open and the doors open and, and charges are laid and the summons is issued. And it will happen. We're in a war, as Tanya said. And in a war... You've got enemies, and they're going to try, try to do what they can to shut you down. That doesn't mean that you give up on the best possible avenues that are out there, but you find ways to get around it. And one of the best ways to get around it on laying charges is to have a number of people do it in various areas of the country. If they get adjourned and they're delayed, so be it. We, we just move along and we'll get them heard eventually. And, uh, and we will get a summons issued. And at some point, I am going to be in court as an agent for somebody. I'm looking for the best case with the best evidence, and then I will be there. And then at that point, we will, um, we will get a summons issued. Absolutely. Um, I don't think we'll get a warrant unless you can prove that the person is, is still doing. Like, for example, if you walked in and said, here's my uh, co-employee right now, and that employee takes a stand and says, yeah, Jane Doe is still telling everybody if you're not vaxxed within uh, a, a month, you're going to be fired. Because they're still breaking the law, you may get a warrant. That would be nice, right? But in most cases, you're going to get a summons. And a lot of employers won't allow people to work if, you've got, if you're facing criminal charges because of something that happened in the workforce in the workplace, in your capacity of what you were doing as, a, uh, as an employee or manager, for example. Many companies will say, look, minimally, you're going to be suspended, which would be awesome. But to get to that stage, we're going to need the evidence. And I've, uh, I've mentioned it before, and I'm going to mention it again. Every case turns on evidence. And it's critical to, to keep the best records possible and keep the best documents possible. And um, we will get through these process hearings. I'm, I'm really optimistic. And um, I'm optimistic for what's going to happen tomorrow because the person laying the charge tomorrow has experience in this area. They, uh, he called me up last week and ironically, he said, Dave, I have experience doing this in, a, in another capacity, but I don't have experience in a private individual capacity. So he wanted me to help him go through it. So we did. And um, I'm just really, really optimistic that uh, that we're going to be successful at some point in the near future. So um, the case that we worked on on Monday, uh, it's been adjourned for a month and we'll be talking to the Crown and uh, and get some information out to them. I've been talking to people in other provinces and I'm really optimistic of, of getting somewhere to help somebody and be in court to, to get their evidence. The stronger the evidence, the easier my case, my job will be to get it through to the courts and um, it, it's, uh, it certainly will not be a problem with the, the case law that I have. So um, 
yeah, I just, I guess if there's one thing I can stress, please, if you're in, if, if you're in a position or somebody you know is in a position of having been terminated or having faced repercussions because they won't get vaccinated, stress the importance of keeping evidence as much as possible in the best format as possible. And not just um, being vaxxed, but think about it, as I've said before, fundamentally. Forcing you to get vaccinated against your free will is a criminal assault. And I have found case law, for example, that says um, you cannot force somebody to be sexually assaulted in order to work. You, you, can't, you simply cannot do that. And that would constitute extortion. And the same thing would apply to being vaccinated. It's, it's an assault. It's a trespass to the person. And I don't care how effective the vaccine is. That, that's a, a non-issue. It could be 100% effective. The whole issue is somebody's forcing you to be criminally assaulted as a condition of employment. And that cannot work in any circumstance. There's, there's a dividing line between what actions you can take to enforce the rights you have and what you cannot. For example, if, say you're offered, you're, you're, you're owed a legitimate debt. Somebody owes you 100 bucks. And it's a legitimate debt. You've got witnesses. You've got it on paper. Somebody said, borrow me 100. I'll pay you back. And the person doesn't pay. Well, you can take them to small claims and you can threaten to take them to small claims. No problem. But if you go up and you threaten to beat them, that's against the law. If, if, if you threaten them and say, look, you either do that or I'm going to make sure you suffer for it. That's probably against the law as well. And it's just absolutely going to be uh, important to know where that dividing line, because some threats you can make, some you cannot. And forcing you to be uh, vaccinated or assaulted in order to be uh, in order to work is a threat of unlawful activity that no court will uphold. You cannot threaten a criminal offense against somebody, you know, even if you have a right. So even if the employer has a right to hire or fire you, they cannot force a criminal offense on you in order to work, mm-hmm. pure and simple. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll leave you with those uh, immediate thoughts. Um, I, I'm, I'm optimistic for the future. I have been for a while. I know the Crown is opposed to it. They know what's going to happen when the floodgates open. And, and it is a question of when. And a lot of people are optimistic and it's going to happen. It's just a question of when we're in a war. You know, the civil cases that got got started a year, a year and a half ago are still before the courts. I urge everybody, try and as hard as it is, because I had to go through it 25 years ago, and I went months and months without getting any sleep. It was really hard. But we have to get rid of the the thought of instant gratification, mm-hmm. especially in a war where they have all the guns. Yeah, We've got some guns on our side, like laying criminal charges, and we're going to use them and it's just the question of realizing that they are the enemy. We're in a war and they're going to try and delay it to make sure that they don't lose on that aspect of the war and we don't get a victory on it. But it will happen. And that I guarantee you, it will happen. Um, this, this right goes back over a thousand years to bring these people to justice. So I, I remain optimistic. And um, yeah, as I said, the most important thing is keep, keep really good records and, uh, mm-hmm. and tape recordings. Keep it all. All right. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. 
and you better get conditioned and be ready for it. Um, you need patience. And, and, and like David said, we know that you have a year in order to file and take action, but even if you file and you lose and you appeal, there's options. We just want to make sure you're in the best possible position. Um, somebody had just mentioned here um, in the uh, chat that their, her son, their son, had ended up uh, going to the courthouse in Guelph, Ontario, filing. They'd gone before the JP, but they were filing based on assault. And the JP had brought them in right away, but had asked if they had, if the employer, whomever had physically assaulted them, and they had said no. So basically, they told uh, their son that he had no case and uh, was dismissed. But David, we're we're taking those things into consideration, right? So if you have been somebody who was duped into taking this experimental um, injection, and what really whether you did or didn't even have a reaction, you were still assaulted. It, it, you know, it was something that you were duped into taking. But this is more about extortion and intimidation. If an employer is trying to force you to to take this injection, and you've decided to uh, that you couldn't do that, and so you were for, forced into either unpaid leave or being terminated. And well, yeah, so Right. Extortion itself is a the, the basis of extortion is that it interferes with freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. That's the whole force of it. There's some good case law that trace it right back to blackmail in the um, in, in England, which is really good. And as a, a side note, a humorous side note, if anybody wants, there's a good little skit on Monty Python called Blackmail. If uh, if anybody ever wants to check that, it's good. In any event, um, they. Um, the history of extortion, yeah, definitely goes back to taking away freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. And that's something that underlines the whole thing. If you can't choose whether or not to get vaccinated and somebody's threatening you as a result, um, an offense has been committed. And with assault, I think 265-1B, if the, if if person threatens you with assault and you believe he can do it, it would still constitute an offense under that section as well, even if uh, you even if you were not physically assaulted at that time. Okay, that's interesting because they put criminal code 266, which would have been after the fact that would have been uh, directed at an actual assault. So 265-1 was the threat to assault. And that's an extremely good point. I just yeah. want to let people know if you have a question for David, please raise your hand and we're going to actually move into those. I don't want to take up this time, David, for people to ask you yep. direct questions. Terenzio, sure. do we have somebody available? Yeah, we have uh, first person we have is Wayne. Wayne, are you there? You should see a little message pop up on your screen. Hi, Wayne. Hello, Wayne. He's just trying to unmute, I think. There we go. Nope. Okay, I don't see that he's successfully being able to unmute Terenzio. Wayne, can you uh, maybe even put your question in the chat if we can't get this working? Or you can sign off and come back on again. Sometimes that makes a difference. All right, next person is Alexandra. Yes. There we go. Hi, Alexandra, we can hear you. Okay, so, um, I have two questions. One is, um, I've been on unpaid leave since the end of February. Um, I refused to fill out that testation form. I refused the rapid testing. I refused to disclose my status. Um, the union is still fighting it right now. So I'm, uh, but I do want to take them to court. And I'm just wondering, is it best to wait till the union is finished with grieving it? Or at what point in time is it best to, to lay these charges? And then my second question is, is that the union recently just sent me an email and said that they want to get rid of the rapid testing at work, but they're still holding on to the vaccination policy and 
they still want me to fill out that attestation form and they're asking me if I'm willing to come back to work. But it just, I don't feel right about going back to work without confirmation that I will be paid for the time off and with comfort, without confirmation that this won't happen again because come September, they could just decide to enforce the testing again and then I'm back on unpaid leave and it's just going to be an ongoing cycle that I think if I agree to that, it might hurt me if it does go to court. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. Well, <clears throat> the civil procedure, of course, is, is got to be through the union. And I agree with you. If, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. And if you allow them to do it right now without compensation for what they've done and the loss of wages, they'll do it again in the fall. And then they'll, set, they'll have a precedent to rely on and say, well, you agreed to it once. Uh, you're a stop from coming up and arguing that, you, uh, that we can't do it in the future because you agreed the first time. They may or may not be successful, especially if they've been threatening you, but that's what they would argue back. And then you got a much higher threshold argument to meet at that point. Um, as for the timing, um, every case is going to be fact specific. I don't know what your union specifically is, is saying. I don't know if they're on your side at all or fully against you or if they're just uh, you know, playing, uh, playing around with you and saying, yeah, we'll look after it and really they're not doing anything. But legally speaking, yes, you can go and lay criminal charges right now, even if the union is, back, uh, is going through the grievance procedure. The only thing I would rec recommend and keep in mind is, will you get evidence in the grievance procedure that could be used against them criminally? So for example, in the grievance, there's going to be mediation, negotiation, right? You'll be talking back and forth. And will you be able to ask questions of your boss, direct questions, if he's going to be uh, talked to, that says, you know, uh, did you threaten me that I have to get back? Well, yeah, I did, but we had a policy, whatever. And then did you do it on this date? And get him to admit these facts. That would help you significantly in a criminal prosecution, as opposed to going and prosecuting them right now before you've even gone through the grievance process. Now, you may already have sufficient evidence to lay a charge and the grievance process may not get much. That's a decision you, you would have to make. But the point I'm making is, is um, if your grievance hearing, a mediation hearing or the procedure, the procedural hearing is going to take place coming up, if you're going to be able to talk to these people directly and get questions asked, you may wish to wait until after you've asked those questions and got their damning answers on the record that you can use against them and then bring that up in your uh, process hearing. Then you'll have a much stronger case. But I'll, uh, I'll let the, the timing I'll have to leave up to you because I, I don't know your specific circumstances. But those are thoughts to consider for sure. Yeah, I do have emails, but um, I and I've recorded my conversations with the union, but I haven't been part of any of the meetings um, for the grievance. The union did that with the employer without me there. Yeah, I should ask the union for records or uh, ask them, uh, give them a bunch of questions to ask your, uh, your superior for sure. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and it's... I was going to add to that, you know, David, because you've trained us so well, is to make sure you were saying it, ask questions, initiate um, emails right now. Uh, there's an example where uh, a young woman had been tricked into signing that attestation, you know, putting down that she she was not getting uh, the vax. She signed it, but underneath the signature was where it said that if she had signed that she was not going to take the vax, that she was going to be uh, uh, terminated in 30 days. 
and her her um, union rep was telling her, it's like, yeah, take the deal. We'll put the grievance in afterwards. And so I said, absolutely not. Uh, you, you can't uh, go along with anything. If you were coerced and misunderstood something that you were signing, you should get that on record. And so I assisted her in writing a letter. Those template letters are available um, on our webpage. And I, I called the union rep out. But when I did that, I included the city that was involved and as a result, the union rep, like some of these guys are in on this. They just want you to go along, make their job easy. They don't want to be upset by this. And uh, anyways, he said, you know, that was very unprofessional calling her out and shaming her. And now as if, um, you know, she was going to be under even further restrictions and review. And so we just took him to task. And we challenged him, but we continued to include the mayor and city council. And we continue to include the fact that this extortion and intimidation were against the law, that this was an injection with known harms, including death. And we just we I, I just ended up laying the email out in a manner that included the uh, letter of the law, the risks that they were taking and their liability. And wouldn't you know, but they reinstated her. And, and so you can as well do this on your own um, in advance, preparing for yourselves that depending on who you're working for and, and we're help, willing to help assist with that. If you come to the Tuesday talks, it's a little easier time to talk directly with me as well. Uh, Sheila has just included the template letters in the chat area. And so I'd, I'd recommend that you do that. So, David, at this point, uh, would you even recommend her doing the notices of liability to the unions and to the employers and make sure all of that, even though you know, because the union is obviously leaving her on the outside of this, right, which they shouldn't be doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would definitely I'd give that them. to the union for sure. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd let, serve let, them so fast. <laughs> yeah, it, it lets them know that they're going to be um, held accountable and, and you have a legal basis. I mean, you have a contract, you're part of the union. So the union has a contract with you to do certain things if your employer um, fails to live up to their part, of, of course, right? Mm -hmm. So you, definitely, I would be giving them a notice as well to the union and let them know that you're not just going to walk away if, if they don't do their job. Yeah, this is illegal. And you see, once they once they take this to the lawyers, the lawyers know it as well. And and as another example, just to give people confidence on this call, um, I know somebody very near and dear to me who works for the city of Surrey. And in November, the city of Surrey said that they were going to mandate vaccination and um, uh, for the employees come January 4th. And if not, they'd be put on unpaid leave. Oh, like, you know, all of this information is just so fair, you know, so uh, I ended up sending them letters. Well, not my, well, I sent the city because I'd already sent letters to the mayor and city council, but I sent it to the city mayor, a manager. And I said, this is unlawful. It's illegal. The city has already been served and you will be held personally liable. Remember, I'm not going after the city manager in his capacity as city manager. I'm going after him as Mr. Bob Smith. As a, as a citizen who has to uphold the law. These are, this is criminal. And that's why you can sidestep the union procedure here because it's criminal. If somebody sexually assaulted you, you wouldn't be waiting for the union to do something about it. You would file criminal, a, a criminal complaint. And so that's the same process that we're using here. This is criminal. And so January 3rd, very happy to report that they the city sent out an inter-office notice and they had removed the um, the threat of mandating vaccination and they had removed the threat of putting people on unpaid leave. So you see, we're on to something here. 
And so I highly recommend you dig your heels in, you learn what it is that Action for Canada and David are providing you, and you get actively involved in protecting your rights. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're going to, um, if you're in a situation where your employer or your union is not doing their job, you, you've, the options are really limited. You either agree and, and do nothing or you hold them accountable. And there's methods of holding them accountable and methods of doing it. Um, but the choice needs to be made. And if you don't hold them accountable, they'll just keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, David. Uh, Terenzio, is anybody, if you've got your, if you want a question answered, now's the time to do it. We have lots of questions. Next is Jason. Hey, Jason. Uh, hello, and <clears throat> hello, Tanya and David. Thank you so much, both of you. Uh, David, you and I have spoken a couple of times, and I've attended your previous uh, calls that you did with Action for Canada as well. Uh, I live in Ontario, and uh, I was placed on six weeks unpaid leave, and I have everything in writing from my ex-employer that threatened my termination for non-compliance with the COVID policy. Um, they, there's all sorts of uh, intimidating language, and it's all in writing on company letterhead. So my question to you is, I, like, I already have my information filled out. I'm ready to move on filing criminal charges. Uh, I want to file charges against a number of people that were involved. But uh, my question is, is when I compile evidence... Is it, is it safe for me to go ahead and mark the evidence up with highlighters uh, to to um, highlight the, the parts that I believe are pertinent, or am I better off to not mark them up? If you're going to submit them as evidence on the record, it's best not to mark them because you want your, your evidence that's going to go on the record needs to be originals or copies of originals. If you've highlighted them, then they're, they're not considered originals because they don't know who highlighted it or when it was highlighted or why it was highlighted and, and all sorts of peripheral questions come up. So don't make, don't mark them or don't highlight them. If they're already marked, um, for example, say on the side you've written notes or something, um, then you need to just be prepared to explain that uh, when it did or better yet, see if you can get a copy of the original that's not marked and, and use that up. But yeah, you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be marking anything that's going to go in as, as an exhibit. You can have your copies marked so that it, it helps you uh, ease of reference to notice the judge. So, for example, if you have a document that's 20 pages and uh, you give the judge and the crown prosecutor a copy that's not marked, your copy that you're going to reference can be marked so that it'll help you tell them where to go on the document to look at that, that you can do. Thank you for that, David. And, and just a follow-up question, then I have about uh, four letters that are all uh, essentially uh, intimidation and threats. So <clears throat> I also had mailed some responses back and provided some information and some links. And just so everybody's aware, I did, uh, I did serve a notice of liability to my acting manager at the time as well and told him that he personally is uh, legally culpable for, for uh, enforcing the policy. But... Um, and <laughs> So, so I guess my, my other question is, is when you talk about evidence, you know, like this is going through a union and now the union is, is essentially failing to represent me at this point. They said they weren't going to take my grievances to arbitration and, uh, and they forced me to go through an appeal process. So now it's been about another five weeks. All of this started back in September. I know I only have a 12 month window. Uh, you know, how long should I wait before I pursue filing criminal charges against the people who destroyed my career? and uh, took away our, our financial security for my family. I would start on it now. Yeah. And um, yeah, make sure your forms and that are filled out correctly. 
keep the number of people you're going to charge to a minimum. It's tempting to go out and throw the book at 30 people, but you know what? You, you don't want to be seen as somebody with a vengeful attitude or a busy body or somebody who's got an ax to grind. You want to see, be seen as somebody who's got legitimate complaints. So keep the, um, the people you charge to the, to the best and the minimalist and, and um, keep the evidence as much as possible to the best as well before you go and lay the charges. Um, as I said, I'm not a fan of how they do it in Ontario. I think they're doing the procedure illegally, but that'll be something that uh, I'll be, I'm still looking into and, and hopefully we'll get some answers in the next little while. But um, yeah, keep it to a minimum. Okay, super. All right. I'm going to, there's the Q&A. So I'm going to go through a few of these people that have been waited patiently. I didn't see them. <laughs> All right. So uh, Christina's asking on behalf of one of her members, after being put on leave without pay on December 13th, 2021, for refusing to be tested and forced injected with a so-called vaccine, I applied for employment insurance. In short, I was denied EI. Uh, the letter I received from EI was told it was uh, because of misconduct with no mention of what the misconduct is. Question, is there any action beyond appealing this decision, which they doubt will do any good, that can be given or that can be taken against EI. I did put in a human rights complaint against EI because I was denied a service on the grounds of religious faith. This is the second person I've heard, you know, has gone through this where EI is, I don't know how people survive without, you know, something that they poured uh, much money into, right, that should be rightfully theirs to collect. I agree. Um, the first thing I would do is do an access or privacy request on um, the employment uh, insurance division and ask for all their, um, for the name of the person that made the decision or decisions not to allow you to have benefits, the, um, all the dates, times, and information. And you want all emails, correspondence, attachments, and you want all... Um, documents that they relied upon to make that decision and they want all policies in relation to employment insurance not giving you benefits because of not being vaxxed. They may have policies in there that says uh, we have an internal policy if any employer says that you were terminated because you wouldn't get vaxxed we're going to deny you benefits. You want those policies and you want to get them uh, share them with everybody, and uh, and then we can, you know, we'll be, everybody can see what the legal effect is, of course, and that may help you um, in charging somebody later on down the road. Right now, it's an administrative process that they've done. I can't say if you can lay charges because right now you've got no evidence other than the fact that they denied you the the, the benefits, which is a, an administrative thing that you definitely should file an appeal on or go through the whatever appeal procedures in the Employment Insurance Act for sure. But if you want to consider laying criminal charges, you're going to need evidence, and the only way to do that is to do a privacy request through uh, access to or through the Privacy Act federally for employment insurance, and and get everything that they had and their policies in that regard, and then you'll be in a better position to make a decision if uh, if you have evidence to lay charges. And that goes back to what I said earlier: get copies of those policies directly from the source, right? Don't rely on somebody else. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And I know of some people that were put on EI. Thank you, David. Um, there's apparently a question that asks, is this due to COVID-19? And it was just say, Mark, no, <laughs> you know, it's not. It's due to corruption. You know, something in your own mind to justify that answer. But yeah, it's a terrible position they're putting people in. Uh, okay, this one is from Suzanne. Uh, Tanya, I read your criminal complaint against Bonnie Henry 
Well done. Are you okay if people draw on it to create their own? I can see a ton of research and writing went into it. Yes. Yeah, please uh, take the the research sections of it regarding Bonnie Henry, if that's helpful to you and use it. <laughs> Go for it. All right. Uh, um, David, what do you do if the Crown Prosecutor's Office refuses to accept your criminal documents? I don't know what province you're in um, because the Crown doesn't make the decision on whether they're going to accept the documents. Um, that's up to the court and the court doesn't have any discretion. If your charge, if your information form is worded correctly, the court must accept it by law and there's no discretion to refuse it. And then you have to give a copy to the Crown. Um, if the Attorney General's office says, no, we're not going to take it, then you just simply need to do an affidavit that says, I tried to give it to them, date and time, and they refused. So then when you get your process hearing, um, you can tell the judge, here's my affidavit. I went to give it to them and they refused to accept it. So if they don't show up, your hearing will still go forward. So if I don't know of any cases where the attorney general has refused to accept documents for uh, for filing like that. If you have an information, my experience has been they will always take it. What they do afterwards, however, if they're going to stay the charges, you need to ask them why. Legally, they don't have to give it to you, which is something that's beyond a lot of uh, our ability to challenge. It, it involves a historical analysis of attorney general's powers and so on. But that law has to change where the attorney general is unaccountable to anybody for making their decisions, as we found out in the Trudeau-SEN-Lavalin affair. So it's something that um, is probably going to be requiring a lot of legal work to do in the future. But um, yeah, the Crown won't won't refuse it. They'll take it. If they stay the charges, you need to ask why and what basis they're doing it on, especially if you haven't even given them, given them your evidence yet. And um, if that's the case, um, you may want to try relaying different charges or relaying the same charge at some point in the future. Okay. Other than that, I can't say much more than that without knowing, of course, what the Crown is doing specifically. Okay. Okay. So David, now what I'm going to do, there's apparently 16 hands up at first, there wasn't a lot of questions and I didn't know about the Q and a, so I'm going to, I'm going to do some rapid questions here and let's see how many we can get through uh, to get some of these people's answer questions answered. Okay. So my, are you up for it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's do this. All right. My last employer did not permit audio recording in the workplace meetings, discussing their COVID vaccine policy. I asked, asked if I was allowed by law, but they refused to comment. Do employers have a duty to provide accurate information on whether or not recording is allowed during discipline? Um, the Supreme court of Canada ruled that you can record any conversation you're a party to um, without telling the other person. The only qualification I'm going to put on that is, did you waive your right? For example, do you have an agreement or a contract with the employer that specifically says in that agreement that you will not record any conversation without telling the employer and so on? If there's nothing there, if that's not addressed in your agreement, then yes, you can tape record them and not tell them. And they can threaten you all they want and do whatever they want. Yep. You have a, a legal right to do that as long as you're a party to the conversation. Mm -hmm. Especially when criminal activity is going on. Um, I, I know I talked to a, a nurse one time and uh, she was seeing abuse of elderly 
And she says, oh, I signed an agreement. I wouldn't videotape. I was like, that's your regular business. If you're, you know, having the elderly people, you know, in a video and posting it on Facebook, this is evidence. This is evidence about, you know, abuse or illegal activity. And so one of the things I've also done, if I neglected or couldn't record a conversation is I'll email that individual and say, you know, uh, thank you for the conversation. Uh, this is my understanding, uh, you know, of some of the things that we covered. And then you go point by point and you can bet if you point something out and it's wrong, they're going to respond and reply to you. And it is a great way to collect evidence as well and get the conversation going. All right. Okay. Tanya. Uh, mm -hmm. I just wanted to, to note, um, we mentioned earlier, somebody had, um, and I mentioned somebody was in court this morning. Um, Irene posted in the yes. uh, chat box. Yep. Um, she pointed out that she was in court this morning on a process hearing and uh, in New Westminster. Um, and I expect that would be questioned uh, for a process hearing, of course, but the judge in the Crown said her information form two needs additional information and scheduled June 15th as the next hearing date. Um, what they're I, I'm reading from this is that the information form you filled out may have been defective and it may have been missing information on it, a date and a time may be missing, I don't know. But um, if you want to send your information form to me, I'll take a look at it and I'll see if it needs any changing. The other thing you can do is you can write the Crown Prosecutor directly. And, um, and if you don't know their name or contact, you can call the courthouse and tell them when you were in court and they'll, they'll give you that information. And ask, <clears throat> excuse me, ask the prosecutor directly, how is my form to defective? What do I need to do? The Crown will usually help in that regard. So you can do that as well. Um, but I appreciate the update on, on what happened this morning. And this goes back to what I said earlier. Um, there, there can and frequently will be delays and it's just part of the process. So you're in June 15th again. Um, let's make a point of seeing how your information form is defective and let's make a point of seeing what the, uh, the Crown wants from you. And you may have to contact them directly for that. And then you maybe can get back to us and let us know. Thanks, right. Tanya. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Irene. I felt so bad that I couldn't engage you more yesterday, but glad you connected with David. Glad you're here. Yeah. And, that, uh, yeah. Tanya, sorry to interrupt. My apologies. I also wanted to mention the same thing. Um, I, I apologize if anybody's on the call and was there yesterday and I didn't have the ability to chat. There was a couple people at least. Mm -hmm. it, it reminds me of rallies in a way. Um, there's so much going on that it, it's just not possible to talk to everybody. So if, if anybody um, tried yesterday as well, I apologize, I couldn't get to everybody. My, my apologies. Okay, thank you, David. Yeah, and uh, David has made his email available for those that, of you that are filing. Understand that he gets a gazillion emails as well. And we wanna focus on people like Irene who are filing and how we could potentially assist them. And uh, so uh, Sheila, will you make sure, I think that you probably provided your email to Irene, David? Connection? I think Sheila has it. Yeah. I can, okay. um, yeah, if she can give it directly to Irene, that'd be great. Okay. Here's next question again. Uh, can you lay the criminal charges when the union has negotiated the adjustment plan and are offering termination and with severance pay, not a lot, <laughs> as an option to getting vaccinated? If you haven't accepted it, number one, yes, you can still lay criminal charges. Absolutely. Um, if you're being forced to take it, for example, um, you got no food on the table and, you, and, and there's just simply no way out, you can still lay criminal charges. The only way you may not be able to is if you just voluntarily waive your right. 
mind you, you can't really waive criminal rights. If somebody's committed a criminal act, all you can do is choose not to charge them or not. Um, so in my opinion, yeah, you, you could go and charge them still. Yeah. As long as you've got the evidence to back it up. Okay, awesome. And um, when when they're when they're doing these process uh, hearings, the public cannot uh, attend, or can they? No, no. They the hearings, the, the the initial process hearing is closed to the public, and the other person is not required. Is not supposed to be notified either. Right. Nobody's supposed to know. And the reason is clear: if if the person you're charging knows about it, they could destroy evidence, take off, and then all of a sudden there's there's a, a lot of problems, right? And if the public know about it. You could easily ruin somebody's career. Somebody could ruin your career, your, your standing in the community, everything by saying, you know what, you you ticked me off. I'm going to go down and falsify a charge on you. And I don't need to say what types of charges could ruin somebody's life, but um, they're out there, obviously, and um, they're, they're there for everybody's protection at this stage. After a summons is issued, everything goes public, absolutely. Right. So, so just so people, you know, the lay person here understands it, that used to be me a while ago, a few months ago, <laughs> till you taught me so, um, is that, um, you know, for the, for the privacy rights of the person, you don't want to get charged with for defamation of saying uh, your employer, John Doe, ended up, uh, you know, causing you extortion, intimidation, etc. So you want to keep it private that you're, you're charging them because you don't want them to flee the country and go to Florida or Mexico, uh, you want to see this through. So keep it private. Don't tell, tell very few people about it until you're ready to go. Um, okay. All right. Uh, so I hope that question was answered. I'm just going to go back. What can we do when the federal government is your employer? Um, your charges, if you're charging anybody criminally, it goes against the individual. You don't charge the government of Canada. So you, mm-hmm. you need to know who the individual is within the government that's committed the offense and charge them personally. Okay, perfect. Uh, for David, when will you be holding your course on private person? Private slash person. Oh, uh, yeah, on coronational. Um, as I mentioned, I, I've got a long way. I'm about 800 out of 1,100 slides that are done. One of the problems I found out is um, after I started, my original presentation was done for overhead projectors, which means there was a lot of uh, writing on the, on my PowerPoint slides that were extremely large and so on, so people would be able to see it in huge um in huge conference rooms and so on. That's not the case here right now for uh, for the Zoom call. So I've had to make basically reformat every single slide on the document. So I'm up to about 800 out of 1100 right now. So all I can say is I've made a lot of progress in the last three or four weeks. I've got from about 200 up to about 800 slides that are done. So I'm hopefully gonna be done within the next two weeks. That's my objective to get it done. And then it's just a question of, setting a date and um, for it to be done. Cause there's gonna be about at least six to eight series uh, that are gonna be done on it. But that's an update on where I stand on that. And I'm just okay. grateful for your patience on it. Yeah, thanks David. We're looking forward to that. And um, yeah, with all of the assistance that you're giving to Canadians and I gotta uh, mention, this has been at no charge that David is doing this. Um, except for when we've had the workshops and that's fair enough and for your book. So if anybody wants to send a donation to David for all his hard work, please support him. Okay. Um, if my employer will get, okay. So if my employer will give up asking tests or proof, should I ask for a compensation for the period I was on unpaid leave before going back to work? Absolutely. If you don't ask, and I wouldn't even ask, I would demand. Yeah. And demand means, in law, demand means you have a right to something and you're mm-hmm. exercising that right. So I would demand it, um, be respectful in it, and um, 
see what they say in return. Absolutely. But if you don't ask, you don't get. If you don't demand, you don't get. Um, if I can just go back one second to the previous uh, question, I also wanted to point out, Tanya, as you know, on the weekend, Dr. Lagosi, is that his, how you pronounce it? The lawyer that was there speaking? Dr. Lagosi, yeah. Yeah, he, um, I talked to him briefly for a bit too. And um, his comments were really inspiring because what he said about the common law is already backed up in all the case law and authorities that I'm citing in my presentation. So everything he said, I'm going, finally, a lawyer is agreeing that everything mm. I've got is correct. So I just wanted to mention too that um, the, the difference is I'll have all my authorities cited where I'm getting all the information from to back it up. But that was really nice to have him come out. And uh, when he talked about it publicly, I went right on, great. Somebody uh, in the legal community is finally recognizing that. So that's good. Okay. Yep, that's, that's awesome. Um, Irene, you made a comment, and I'm sorry, I don't see a lot of the chat, so I'll miss some, but I happen to follow my eyes fell on that, that uh, the email correspondence with your HR manager was deleted. Uh, ask for an FOI, Freedom of Information, and request all correspondence between your employer, HR manager, whomever, whomever with attachments, and yourself. Okay, so Trenzio, let's bring you on for, for, there's 15 hands up apparently. We do. And so he's going to set a timer and we'll as well try to get through a few more of these questions. Sounds good. For anybody that has to leave, uh, we've we've dropped a little bit in attendance. Uh, they're four hours ahead in the Maritimes and three hours. And so we just want to thank you so much for joining us tonight on the Empower Hour. But we're going to stay at it here for a little bit longer with David and ask some critical questions. All right. First question. Uh, but just yep. so you know, David, Get we're going to put answers. a... Okay. Trenzio. Just so you know, David, we're going to put a one-minute timer up. So we'll ask, we'll allow 30 seconds for the question and then 30 answer, or thirty seconds for the question. All right. So we'll try to get through this quickly. First one we have is from uh, Laura. Hi. Can you hear me? Sure can. Hi, can, Laura. What's your oh. question? Hi. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, I was just fired due to yesterday because I will not comply with my uh, organization's vaccination policies and stuff like this. And it was through the telephone call. So on there was the human, uh, human resources, the hospitality, and a union representative. And when they said, okay, there won't be any recording, I butted in and said, I am recording this conversation. And they said, well, we need confirmation that you are not recording. And I said, for my legal protection, I am recording this. And then they hung up on me. Yeah, um, I would never, ever tell them you're recording. If you're asked if you're recording, um, either say no, because you're not required to tell them. Or just tell them it's not uh, you're not required to answer the question. But telling them you're recording it is never a good idea because then you just destroy all the evidence you could have got because nobody's going to right away. Nobody's going to incriminate themselves. Right. OK, so, yeah, I think you were going to scoot to the next question. All right. Next is from Irene. Irene, can you unmute? Okay, so maybe go to the next one. Okay, go to the next. Next one. Hello, hi. Oh, there you are. Can you hear me? Yes. Yep. What's your question, Irene? Can you, you hear? Got... Yes. Yep. I can't hear you. Oh, she can't hear us. We can hear you. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble. Yeah. So, um, so I was uh, 
the the guy uh, the lady that that was in New Westminster. Um, I expect to be questioned and sworn, but all I I heard was uh, that my information needs additional information. But yeah, but I don't think it's my form, so I'm not sure about it, David. Well, what I would do is your your question is going to take some time to talk about, and I need to see the form. So um, I would uh, work with us to get my email out to you uh, with Sheila, and then uh, contact me by email in the next day or so, and we'll talk because we won't be able to get we won't be able to talk about it tonight. I need to see your forms, and you're going to have to email me. Okay, super. So we're going to scoot right to the next question. All right. Next question is from Carrie. Hi, Carrie. Can you unmute? Can you click the unmute? Carrie, you should see a little message pop up on your screen. We might have to go to the next. Okay. Okay. Next person is Ken. Hi, Ken. Are you there? Okay. I'm mute. There I am. There you are, sir. What's your question? Hi. Uh, my question is for David about uh, with all the experience that you've gotten uh, reading books and learning about law, uh, what else would you need to do in order to qualify to be able to hang a shingle outside your door saying you're a lawyer? And uh, the second question I have is uh, I'm looking at these programs such as Queen's University where they have an online law program, and I'm wondering if there's any point in trying to take something like that. Um, generally, no. Um, I, I started by doing my own research and getting involved in, in issues that they don't talk about anymore. For example, at the library, law libraries, a lot of books are being taken off the shelves because uh, they're not really used that much. So they're more teaching you uh, post-charter stuff and forgetting about a lot of the good stuff in the past. Uh, I've had a Crown prosecutor and two lawyers offer to hire me in the past, and I've turned them both down because I don't want to be in the system. But in order to be in their system, you need to go through uh, law school and get their law degree. Um, I might not mind going through law school, but I'm not going to get their law degree. I'm not going to. I'm simply refusing to do that. Well, because then the law society is uh, looming over you constantly as well, right? And if you absolutely <laughs> okay, uh, Carrie, I saw that you were unmuted. Are you available? Okay. How about Jocelyn? Yes. Hi. Okay. Yep. Hi. What's your question? Yes. I want to know about the evidence uh, when we speak with the person uh, who is against us. Uh, is it is it a, a wrong uh, a wrong move to uh, talk to them about the kind of evidence we have? I'm sorry. To talk to who? To to the person who is uh, against us. Oh, I see. Yeah, you mean to talk to the person that you might be charging? Yeah. No, it's not It's not wrong to talk to them, but never tell them that you're going to think about laying charges because then they're going to keep their mouth shut, right? So, um, yeah, you never, you never want to tell the person you're charging or thinking of charging. You never want to tell that person uh, that, you're, that you're even thinking about it. But, yeah, absolutely, you can talk to them and you can send them emails and try to get information out of them first, absolutely. Okay, super. Um, okay, Terenzio, next question. Next question is from Karen. Hi, yes, can you hear me? 
Yes, yep. Hi, Karen. Um, I worked worked for the RCMP as a casual in the office, and I also worked for the commissioners as a full-time guard at the same RCMP station. So when the mandates came out, they wanted me to state whether I was vaccinated or unvaccinated. And for both of them, the commissioners and the RCMP, I just sent them a notice saying that they had no right to ask me that. I sent a legal document saying that they had no right to ask. And that was the only thing I gave them. And so now I have been put on leave of absence because I haven't told them whether I'm vaccinated or unvaccinated. So they put me on leave of absence, both the RCMP and the commissioners. And now um, I, I my sergeant there gave me a letter from stating that I was being put on leave of absence because I would not get vaccinated or tell them whether I was vaccinated. And he wrote a letter not only to uh, from the RCMP, but he also gave a duplicate letter and put it in the name of the commissioners and gave that to me also. And <laughs> And so the commissioners have put me on leave of absence. They still pay for my medical and dental if I pay my portion. But now I've just received a letter from them stating that as of the end of June, if I don't tell them whether I'm vaccinated or not, they're going to remove that also. So I'm just kind of like, I don't know what to do. I haven't given notices of liability because I don't have any money to take anybody to court. So I'm kind of like, oh, well, yeah, serving, serving them notices is pretty cheap. Number one, taking them to court criminally is no charge. Filing the information is no. Mm -hmm. There may be some uh, expenses along, like photocopying documents and so on. But taking somebody to court criminally, they they don't charge you for filing criminal charges. What province are you in? Oh, uh, Trenzio, oh. was she muted, Trenzio? Yes, I apologize. Oh, nope, um, that's okay. Okay. You, you, we have to, we have a lot of questions to get through. So yeah. we usually when they ask the question, we go on. We basically okay. mute them. So that's fine. I I'll just I'll just that's fine. I'll just comment quickly that um, uh, try and get the best evidence you can from them, and you can do a privacy request on the RCMP to get all their documents they have on you as well, including correspondence, emails, attachments, policies on vaccination, anything that might be able to be used as well. Um, that's where you would I would go first is to get that information and then think about laying criminal charges for sure. Yeah, and I'm going to just add to that. I know we're doing the timer. Um, the gal that I was talking about earlier, actually, she not only worked for the city, but she was also working for the RCMP in that office and had been with them for years. And, uh, you know, like I said, she was reinstated based on the information that we had filed the notices of liability along uh, with the letters that I had written that were on the template page. And so if people have these kind of questions, maybe what we should do at an upcoming uh, Tuesday's talk with myself, I could do a review of this. In the meantime, go to our Workers Unite page because we walk you step by step through the documents you need. Contact for David is on that page. At the bottom, there are videos, Zoom videos that I did going through exactly these questions and walking people through it. So we highly recommend you would do that. All right. Next question. All right. Next question is from Teresina. For those that raised their hands, just a friendly reminder, when you do raise your hands, you should see a message pop up on your screen to unmute. Okay. Teresina, are you there? Okay, so I can see it's unmute, uh, Terenzio, but I, I can't hear anything. Okay, we can go on to the next. Next one is from Cindy. Hi, Cindy. Hi there. Uh, I have a bunch of questions, but I guess I'll just ask one or two. <laughs> Uh, do I need to ha uh, do a freedom of information request 
for the meetings that my union was having with my employer. And I was offered severance, uh, but in the severance package, there was a line stating that I could take no legal action, so I did not accept the severance. Is could that would that hold? Is your employer a government? Uh, school division. Okay, if it's a school division, there'll be a form of the provincial government that you're in. You can do a uh, problem. The federal government they separate it. They have access and they have privacy. Most provinces do them both. They just call it access to information and privacy. So you can do it. Uh, if it's a school, you can do an access request um, and privacy to get all their documents, all their emails, correspondence. You need to name the person you want it from and the time uh, element, the temporal component you want in there from what day to what day as well. And um, and you can get that from them. If the union um, doesn't, uh, you can ask the union directly. If they don't give it to you, then you may need to get a court order forcing the union to do it. Isn't that quite something to say you can't take legal action against us? That's telling. That's telling you that they know that what they're doing is illegal. <laughs> so yep. file those notices of liability and start applying the pressure. Okay, next question. All right, next question is from Mel. Hi, Mel. Can There you go. Can, you how me? are you? There you are. We hear you. What's your question? Okay, um, it's kind of loaded, so I'm going to make it really quick here. All right. I'm in Calgary. I'm with the school board. Um, I was served uh, a leave of absence in January after serving my NOLs to my principal in December. Um, I was asked to come back to work in March. Um, Our lawyer here told us that never resign. So I went back because I'm a single parent need to work. Um, So I didn't do the contract. David, you just mentioned earlier in the conversation, it might make your case a little bit more difficult. So I hope I didn't screw myself there. <laughs> also, now that I've done the NOLs, I've also done a FOIP request. I'm not really sure what to do after that because someone filled out my declaration. I did not declare. And I'm looking at a fraud charge if I can prove that. I don't know what you mean by somebody filled out a declaration. Um, if you did a FOIP request, I don't know if you've got it or what's in there. <clears throat> so to that effect, uh, it's difficult to say anything on the substance of it or content because I, I simply don't know what's in there. But um, yeah, being with the government, if they've uh, broken their contract, um, I assume you have a union as well. The union will look after the civil aspect of it, um, which you have to then go through the courts and whatever procedures are in that contract. But if you've got the individuals in the company or government that are threatened you and in doing that have broken the law, then yeah, you can definitely still lay criminal charges on them. And if you need the information, then um, you may want to do another FOIP. If what you've got isn't in there, you can do another FOIP and uh, reword your application to get more specific stuff. Sometimes you get an answer and you go, oh, I didn't know this letter was there. Then you can go make another request to get that. So you should look over whatever you've got because there may be more information you can get as well. And um, once you've got sufficient evidence um, to lay the charges and you need to look at each specific section, 346 and 423 are the two main ones in the criminal code or the Genetic Non-Discrimination Act, um, then then you'd be able to lay charges. Yeah, but uh, you need to get that evidence, so for sure. All right, next question is from Wayne. Are you there, Wayne? 
Oh, Wayne was the one that tried last time and couldn't come on. Okay. So he probably signed off and came on again. It's still Maybe. not working, Wayne. Sorry. All right. Next is from Jason. Hey, Jason, can you unmute? I think everyone's having tech problems. Today. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I've already asked my question. I don't want to take up any more time. Thank you. Okay. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Jason. All right. Next from uh, Barbara. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, hi. Yeah, I'm a grandmother, and uh, my daughter-in-law and her ex split up a while ago. And my granddaughter, who's turned 12, she's very informed and went to freedom rallies and different things. She did not want to get vaccinated. She even ran from her dad and hid. It got actually the police came. It's horrible. Uh, so he took the kids, basically, and forced vaccinated her December 8th and 12th. Is there anything I, as a grandmother, can do? Can I send a notice of liability to him? Because we do not want her to have the booster. And he's cut me off completely for my grandkids. I just started a motion. I'm in Alberta. They're in Ontario for access to my grandkids. You know, it's, um, it, it's an interesting point you mentioned. Because if you get a parent who goes and uh, slaps the kid across the butt and leaves a welt on him, the parent could be charged with assault. And in many cases would be. And, and probably get the kid taken. And yet you go and put a vaccine in them and stick all these chemicals that you don't even know what's in there against their consent. And, and then they try and tell you that's okay because some statute says it's okay for them to do that. Um, that that's a real, a real problem that I have with vaccinations on children. It, they're, they're, it is, it's still an assault. An assault is an assault. Um, the problem that they rely upon is that the statute says the parents can go and assault their kids in this manner. So somebody might have to challenge the statute in your province that authorizes them to do that. And that, of course, is going to be lawyers and, and, and so on. Can you specifically do anything? Um, I mean, you don't have to be a victim to lay charges, if that's what you mean. So if you have evidence that uh, they've, they've committed a criminal offense, you can charge. The only problem with the assault is um, yeah, they're probably going to come up at some point and say, um, yeah, you know what? The statute says he can do it. So there you go. Uh, so you're in a problem of, of, of being in a situation where statute authorizes the assault to take place. And it's going to be there until somebody challenges that statute, sadly. But that's a real um, yeah, I'm sorry. That's a real problem. I'm sorry, too. That's a real problem uh, you raised among question? a lot of parents. Am I mute or unmute? Can I ask one more question? <clears throat> yes. Oh, okay, so you also mentioned extortion. So when he took her from Alberta across to BC, Ontario, it's a really involved place. His uncle is a judge. We don't know how they did this. Like I don't even go through all of it. Uh, but I have a long statement if anybody cared to read to help to expose this. But he told my granddaughter she was allowed to contact me for a while. And she told her mother one time that dad said, until you accept this, you will not have use of your phone. And he was forced vaccinating her to make her go to Florida. That's extortion. Uh, and that's like to me, like it's criminal harassment and it's intimidation. It's, it's criminal. It's criminal negligence causing harm what he did. Like, yeah. And, no- and, and when a child is 12 years old um, in divorce situations, they have a right to choose what parent they want to be with. He told her that. He told her Family that. Family law is a real problem. Do I have to fake my own death? I'm not going back. Mom, my, my daughter took her to children's services, got advice, continued through the courts. Then he showed up in October with a court order and the RCMP 
listen to him. And we don't know why, like there's lots, I have evidence, I have some videos of the kids say, no, no, they ran and hid and locked themselves in a truck one night in a bathroom. And the police actually arrested my daughter, who was very peaceful. She, she used to be in criminal justice and policing, but of course she was trying to be on the phone, getting helps for them. And nobody would do the job. Children's services, you know, when kids step grandfather licked her foot, uh, they assaulted her, like a whole bunch of things. And nobody would do their job and just stop and do an investigation. They handed the children over to him back to Ontario. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Very sad. Barbara, yeah. to hear what it is that you're going through. This is much more involved than we, what we can cover here. Yeah, um, and I'm sorry, you're in the province of Alberta? Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, if, and where's the child at this point? He's in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And right. my daughter there, and I'm taking up too much of your time. If there's anyone could send my statement, if you could do anything with it. She said we can go public. We need uh, maybe investigative journalists or something. She finally, I think, has a lawyer. But Sue right. said, oh, crap. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm thinking that, you know, one way we could assist you is by getting you in touch with our, our contacts at Rebel News and my friend Laura Lynn uh, okay. could do a story on this as well. So, Sheila, if you would t- um, send Sheila your contact information, email and phone number. I promise you, I will make that connection for you. Thank you so much. I will do that. Thank you. I am so sorry. Best of luck. Um, Yes. That's a horrible situation. Okay. So David, we're coming to the top of the hour. Carrie, for some reason, you're not unmuted. I know you were wanting to ask a question. I couldn't find it in the chat. Um, So unless you can now unmute, I know you wanted to give it another try. If you want to throw the question right in the chat right now, Okay, so maybe this is it. Um, Or well, here's one from Sheila. It says, if you go to lay criminal charges, extortion and intimidation at the courthouse with the JP and the charges are stayed immediately, even though the evidence is more than sufficient and has been presented at the actual time and the actual criminal charge is worded correctly, what can you do? What are your options? Well, the criminal code was amended a few years back, Section 579, that talks about prosecutorial powers to stay. Prior to that, in the Dowson case, the uh, courts upheld that the Crown could not stay charges before your process hearing. Now, the way the change in terminology saying that they can stay it before the process hearing, if that's the case and there's sufficient evidence, then you may want to consider sending the evidence to the Crown, telling them you want to relay the charge and um, and uh, and you want them to consider this evidence. If they don't take it or don't want to, you may want to ask for reasons. It's hard to do a judicial review on a Crown who's not prosecuting and staying their charges because their powers are almost unlimited. You, you can do one. And if you've got sufficient evidence, for example, say you've got a video of some guy murdering somebody and you go to lay a charge and the Crown stays it, you would probably get a judicial review because the evidence is so compelling. There can be no other conclusion other than the fact that the Crown prosecutor is trying to cover it up. Um, If your evidence is that strong, you can still do a judicial review on the allegation that they're staying it without doing their duties properly. Um, to consider all the evidence. And um, yeah, you could still do a judicial review, um, depending what province you're in, with, whether it's a motion or application in the uh, criminal courts. But you'd have to go to either Queen's Bench, Superior Court of Justice in Ontario, or Supreme Court in other provinces and do that. But um, 
yeah, it's, um, it's difficult if the Crown stays the charge. It's not impossible, but send the information to the Crown prosecutor and try and work with them. And if that doesn't work, then you can always try for a judicial review. Okay, super. Thank you, David. All right, uh, let's do one more question. I'm sorry, the time is running out. Um, we got to, next time we're going to hit the ground running. We had so much to uh, report on tonight with the case with Rocco. Good conversation with you tonight, uh, David. Uh, Trenzio, let's do one more question. All right, next question is from Kirby. Hey, Kirby, can you unmute? Okay, uh, good evening, David and Tanya. This, this is about pro provincial issues. Uh, my, my job was based in uh, New Brunswick. I live in uh, Nova Scotia. It's, it's several hours of driving. If I want to lay charges against my employer, do I have to go to New Brunswick or can I lay them here in Nova Scotia? If the offense took place in New Brunswick, then uh, you have to charge it in the area where the, the offense took place. If the offense took place in New Brunswick but followed into Nova Scotia, then you can charge there. So, for example, if um, uh, somebody commits an offense, uh, say, threatens you in Nova Scotia and does the offense in New Brunswick, then you can probably lay the charge in either province. But in your situation, the offense took place in New Brunswick, so you would have to go to the area in New Brunswick where the offense took place, uh, the city, the closest city where there's a courthouse and lay the charge there. Okay, so I have to go to that city. I can't just go to the nearest court across the New Brunswick. Well, if it, like if it took place in Moncton, you would have to lay the charge in Moncton. If it was okay. in Fredericton, you'd All have right. to lay it in Fredericton. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, I guess that that clears up. Thank you. Okay. And yeah, I just, sure. I, I was going to say, sorry, David, I see that Carrie finally got her question and it was does sure. this, uh, all this evidence collecting apply to the mask mandates as well. I was placed on unpaid leave LOA and my job threatened and the union is not helping me very well. And yes, absolutely. It applies if, uh, whether it's vaccination or masks, I mean, uh, your job under the charter of rights and freedom section seven, you have the right to life, liberty and security of the person. That means the security, there is no legislation in Canada stating that you have to wear a mask. There's no law. It can't be upheld. It's against your constitutional right. You have the right to breathe freely. Um, I hope that answers the question unless you have anything else to add. <laughs> David, do you have anything? Oh, me. I thought you were talking to her. Sorry. Uh, no, no, she's on me. No, no. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't, my apologies. Uh, not really. I think, no, suffice to say your, your analysis is correct. There is no such law and they're placing your health in danger by doing it. And I think that would be a criminal offense under 216 to 221 in that area as well, because the those orders are usually, uh, and I say order because they're mandate by provincial health officers. And um, they're putting your health in danger and life in danger by doing it, especially kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. So we know there were some questions that weren't answered tonight. Uh, that was a bit of a marathon uh, evening. And David, I think what we'll do is maybe on a on a Tuesday, we'll have you back on a special guest. And uh, the other thing I could think would probably be beneficial now is that so many pe more people would be would benefit uh, by your uh, course and to walk them through that workshop on how to prepare themselves and actually lay the criminal charges in the forms to use. I think we're due. That was the fall that we last uh, um, had gone through that. And so I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. You are an amazing Canadian, a patriot. You have a love for, for people. You have a love for justice. 
and the rule of law. And we appreciate you so much. Do you have anything in closing that you'd like to add? You know what? I want to emphasize to everybody, the success that you're having is not mirrored by virtually every other group in Canada for one reason. The foundation of your entire group is the supremacy of God. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That's been the foundation of my position for 15 to 20 years now in the coronation of, and um, that's the reason that the success that you're having is, uh, is, is God's will is specifically there to support what you are doing. And um, there's not a lot of people that are doing it. Um, and, and, you know, you could argue the charter with God or without God. And the one arguing with God is going to have more success than the one that's just coming at it without God. So mm-hmm. I'm grateful for all that you've done and the success that you've done, which has been phenomenal. And it's all been there because you've got as the foundation of your, your whole group is the supremacy of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, for that, I say congratulations. Uh, a lot of people in your, your organization are Christians and believe in God. And um, that just puts a, an, an awful lot of love and positive positivism into your into your group. So thank you for that, for sure. Yeah, thank you, David. And thanks for holding the torch with us <laughs> of, of proclaiming this in Canada. You know, um, Christians, non-Christians alike are welcome at Action for Canada. We're representing every single Canadian whose rights are being violated. And uh, we do happen to, um, yes, we talk about the fact that uh, this country was based on the rule of law and the Constitution is, is based on God's principles, biblical principles. And we've compared those to other nations who are without, who under, are, are under other belief systems, which build their political system. And the reason the government is, is, is working so hard against Christianity in Canada is because our rule of law is constructed by biblical principles. So if they get rid of Christianity in Canada and our rule of law, therefore, will be wiped out also, and then you will have global law. And trust me, you don't want that. <laughs> so even yeah. if you're not a Christian, please, you know, understand and appreciate what you've had in this country and what our founding fathers have gifted us with. Embrace it. David, my friend, thank you so much. We'll be in touch. We'll have you on again. And just uh, God bless you, my friend. You too. God bless. Thank you for everything. It was wonderful to see you yesterday, too. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Next week, Dr. Greg Geary will be on. We're going to talk more about finances, silver, gold, how to invest, how do we deal with all this digital currency, what's safe, what's not. We don't have all the answers, but we like to have the conversation. Uh, So be ready. Uh, Invite others that you know that this this, uh, particular topic is important to. Come with your questions. We'll have a presentation. As always, uh, Dr. Greg does such an amazing job. So again, thank you for joining us. God bless you and God bless Canada.
one another again and love on each other and give each other the help when they're down. We are going to use the, the uh, teams and the people that build within chapters to support our businesses. The government's actions are completely 100% unlawful. Judgment will again be found on justice and those with virtuous hearts will pursue it. You have a virtuous heart if you are here today pursuing freedom and righteousness. And then verse 23 comes along with a promise. God says he will turn the sins of evil people back on them. He will destroy them for their sins. I take great comfort in that because I serve a mighty living God who has allowed us to go through this season of discomfort because we as a nation have turned our backs on him and we need to get right. So I am just gonna thank you so much. I'm going to say God bless you and God bless Canada.